Hello and welcome back to the Detours in Music podcast. My name is Laura Rupel and today we have an interview with oboist Randall Ellis. I'm here at the Eastern Music Festival right now and Randall is the principal oboist of the Eastern Festival Orchestra. I had a great time talking to him and I hope you enjoy. My name is Randall Ellis. Uh, I play principal oboe here at the Eastern Music Festival. Been doing it about 15 years. Um, in my other life, I live in upstate New York and uh, teach at Skidmore College and am in a quintet called Windscape, a woodwind quintet, uh, and we are affiliated with the Manhattan School of Music. We are artists in residence there. Um, I freelance in New York quite a bit. I play in the New York Pops Orchestra on English horn. Uh, I play in a group called the Little Orchestra Society. Um, I sit in with the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center every December for a series of Brandenburg concertos. So um, I'm sort of all over the place. Yeah, that sounds so fun. <laughs> Can you talk about your start in music? Sure. Um, took rudimentary piano lessons, was not very talented at all, and not a particular fan of the piano. Um, was drawn to the clarinet, I can't even remember why, when I was in the fifth grade. Um, but was a pretty mediocre clarinetist, I have to say. Uh, just didn't take to the instrument at all. Um, but like so much of my life, just fortuitous events um, occurred at a time when they were fortuitous. Mm-hmm. Um, my, um, my parents ran a boarding house in Benson, North Carolina, a tiny little town in the middle of North Carolina, and uh, it was a, a, a neoclassic uh, colonial style home that they just uh, rented all the rooms out in. So um, we had a great variety of guests coming through and one of the people who actually lived at my house was my band director um, and he was a flutist and he was actually quite a good musician and, a, and an inspiration for me. So he decided, well maybe you know the band could use an oboe. So we borrowed one from a local um, school and um, I remember writing away for reeds. I have no idea how I knew about this reed source in California, but they were a dollar and a half a piece. So I got a couple of reeds and um, I literally overnight, I mean literally overnight, I was a better oboist than I was a clarinetist. I had just found my voice. Uh, and that to me is just so uh, completely freaky that you know I would go from being casually interested in music to just being like, okay, I can really do this thing and I love to do it and it's mm-hmm. what I, think I want to maybe do. Yeah. When did you realize that you wanted to pursue music past just band programs? Um, well, another lucky event for me was the start of the North Carolina School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to go there as a junior in high school. I had been to the Governor School of North Carolina, which was another wonderful program in the 60s and remaining uh, to this day. Um, and. The more I was around other musicians, even as a kid, Mm -hmm. um, and the more orchestral experience I got, uh, the more lessons I took, the more I realized, hey, you know, this this seems like a career path for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the first couple of years, for my two years of high school at the North Carolina School of the Arts, before I started college there, um, I still, you know, I sent out some applications. Um, I got admitted to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill if I just wanted sort of a fallback plan, maybe go for, I didn't know, journalism, or I, I was just not sure. But but certainly by the time um, I was late in high school, I thought, okay, I just want to stay here, get a Bachelor of Music degree, and, and see where it takes me. Who is the teacher there 
Um, his name was Stephen Edelstein. He was um, a little bit, uh, uh, he wasn't a famous player. Um, this entire woodwind quintet had come down from New York City, basically. Okay. Um, this wonderful man uh, named Vittorio Giannini uh, began the, North, the, the, the music part of the North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, and he attracted all this talent from New York, uh, an entire string quartet, an entire woodwind quintet called the Clarion Woodwind Quintet. And uh, Steve Edelstein was the oboe in that quintet so uh, but he was a wonderful uh, mentor and uh, he he certainly was a good reed making teacher mm -hmm. um, he was very gifted himself so I didn't get the most um, um, I didn't get the background that I really needed in technique and scales and arpeggios and the mm -hmm. stuff that came easily to him he didn't quite know how to get into mm -hmm. um, kids heads who were not as technically gifted as he was and I certainly was not but um, it, it worked out what was your biggest struggle in undergrad? Do you think it was getting all the technique? Um, I would say, well, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so the struggle was really just the, the peripheral stuff for music. I was not a good theorist. I, 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 orchestration class didn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the um, secondary piano was rough. So sort of everything but the oboe. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people enter college because, oh, playing their instrument was really fun, and then kind of give up because, oh, like music it, is kind of hard. Yeah, or, music is, and so I, I have to go I to all these classes. important for younger students to hear, oh, like even the professionals yeah. love every no, single no, class. No, no, did not love going to theory class, definitely not. Um, do you have advice for younger players, maybe an undergrad experiencing what we were just talking about, or someone more like me who's approaching mm. the end of school maybe uh -huh, and uh -huh. seeing the big um, world? <laughs> I would say just stay open to every possibility that c comes your way. Mm -hmm. um, say yes to as much stuff as you can. Um, have some sort of work ethic that involves, you know, daily read making. Mm -hmm. um, just staying in really good shape, being prepared for whatever might be presented to you. But I have to say, it's a it's a very very different world for an undergraduate these mm -hmm. days than. When I was, um, you know, I, I feel like um, I got lots of chances to freelance in New York thanks to my grad school teacher, Ronald Roseman. Mm -hmm. um, but it seemed to me that there were maybe 15 Nobel players in all of New York City at that time. That's mm -hmm. probably an exaggeration because there were certainly shows and, mm -hmm. and people that I didn't know. But for the most part, it was this tiny little um, culture of oboists. We all knew each other. And um, often I would just have a friend and I would be staying at Steve Taylor, actually, mm -hmm. uh, to name names. Wonderful man, teaches at Yale, um, plays in Orpheus Chamber Orchestra and many other things. Um, I would, I would just be hanging out with him and the phone would ring and he would get an offer for a freelance job that he couldn't do because of a conflict and he just put me on the phone. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was hired for this thing. Mm -hmm. um, but there was also a very um, strong sense in the freelance community at that time of, you know, if you recommended somebody, they damn well better be able to do a good job. You wouldn't yeah. just, um, it wouldn't be a student who, mm -hmm. you know, would would go to a professional gig and crash and burn and then make you look bad for that recommendation. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, a, a lot of the stuff I did was based on this small little community, and now it's exploded. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, then there's so many 
good teachers everywhere mm -hmm. and they're turning out good students everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's a much more competitive world that mm -hmm. you are coming into. And you know, I can just say perseverance and I think John Ferrillo of the Boston Symphony speaks of taking 22 auditions before he landed his first professional gig. I may, I may not have that completely right, but I know he took a lot of auditions. Yeah. Um, and eventually he, you know, so the cream rises to the top, but it's a, it's a hard swim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you were approaching the end of your undergrad, did mm -hmm. you know you wanted to get a master's in music? Uh, I did, I did. And then uh, the army interrupted. Yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got drafted. And, uh, but fortunately, again, luck and um, skill, I guess, I was able to audition and get into an army band um, for a year in Fort Polk, Louisiana, and then uh, for almost a year in Heidelberg, Germany, which was really actually ended up being a nice thing. Um, but all during that time I knew that when I got out I was going to follow through with the plan that I had already come up with which was going to grad school mm -hmm. um, at Stony Brook out on uh, Long Island. Mm -hmm. uh, Ronnie taught at Stony Brook and I think Yale and Juilliard at the time and he said come to Stony Brook I can get you a you know full TA and um, I ended up forming a woodwind quintet out there, lifelong friends um, and it was, a, it was a great grad school experience. In, uh, the State University of New York at Albany called um, my teacher Ronald Roseman and wanted a few names of people who he would put forward to go apply for that job. Again, very small, you know, it wasn't like a national search with a hundred people. It was just a phone call being made to a prominent teacher in New York. So um, I drove up to Albany and played a good audition and got the job offer. And, and the thing that made it so much work was, I think I had like three oboe students because mm -hmm. nobody had been there recruiting, and so I got stuck with teaching lecture courses, mm -hmm. uh, which I was completely unprepared to do. Um, a survey course in the symphony, a survey course for the concerto, and then a general, like a, a music ed, uh, not music ed, uh, like a music appreciation course mm -hmm. for about 100 kids, yeah. uh, all non-musicians. Yeah. So that ended up being actually a blessing in disguise because by the time I'd been there a couple of years I figured out how to do it mm -hmm. in a way that would inspire at least some of the kids certainly mm -hmm. not 100% mm -hmm. uh, there were people sleeping in the back of the classroom uh, but um, you know, a lot of them ended up coming up to me afterwards and you know, getting numbers of CDs or um, asking about a concert I was playing in New York that weekend and coming to it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, I, I look back on that as a chance just to sort of spread the word rather than, uh, mm -hmm. you know, try and train future musicians, just future audience members. That's really what we yeah, need. Yeah, that's a very More good than, point. Yeah. Um, has your career changed focus? Back to Steve Taylor, we used to joke um, many, many years ago that neither of us felt like a success really because we hadn't gotten a big principal uh, oboe job. And he was in the finals for Chicago at one point, I was in the finals for Seattle at one point, um, but yet we've been all over the world. I mean, we've toured with Orpheus, we've, um, I've been to Japan 13 times, I've, um, I've been to South America. Um, I've uh, played in most of the major European capitals, mostly on tour with Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, which mm -hmm. I subbed in a great deal but was never a member. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so at one point I sat Steve down and said, you know, Elliot Carter has written music for you, dude. Mm -hmm. you, you're, you're playing in the Chamber Society of Lincoln Center. You've, 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 you've premiered countless works. You've been on like a hundred records. You, you've made it. You're okay. <laughs> you're, you're doing all right. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wouldn't say change, I would say sometimes when 
um, the path looked like it was going to be in one direction and I was going to maybe get this orchestra job mm-hmm. um, and I sort of got psyched, oh, Seattle will be a nice town to live in, that, yeah. that could work out really well. Didn't happen, but always there was something beyond that and I never let it really crush me mm-hmm. and you just can't, I mean, yeah. you got to have a thick skin. Was there ever a time you considered stepping away from music? Never for a nanosecond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you had to, do you know what? <laughs> uh, I, I, I honestly, honestly, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, something that I'm fascinated by is um, the idea of the psychology of um, marketing and popularity and what makes people um, want to indulge in a particular form of entertainment mm-hmm. like like what brings audiences to concerts mm-hmm. um, what makes a TV show popular mm-hmm. um, you know there are stories that Seinfeld um, if it had been a little more in the modern era it didn't start off with good uh, audience ratings at all it would have probably been canceled if it had come along a few years later mm-hmm. but NBC at the time gave it enough time to develop into you know one of yes. the most iconic TV shows ever um, so I'm fascinated by what makes people sit up and take notice. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, there's you know a billion sources of that. Yeah. Um, it's not just uh, three TV channels anymore. Mm-hmm. But if I had not been a musician, I would have loved to have you know gone to some place like Syracuse and sort of looked into broadcast media and mm-hmm. just what what goes on behind the scenes and um, that sort of thing. That's definitely important now as far as concert attendance. Kind of, if doing that research, we could figure out <laughs> what would perpetuate. Just yeah, and and you know, there are certain cities. I think San Francisco and Seattle also does very well. Mm-hmm. It just it's like a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's go hear the symphony. It's yeah. you know Michael Tilson Thomas, and he's conducting this really cool work by mm-hmm. this modern composer. And then in another town, that same concept, just with different people though presenting, just falls absolutely flat. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a fascinating world, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the idea of the Kardashians being yeah. uh, billionaires uh, says something about the, yeah. <laughs> the, the taste of the country, um, which is a sad commentary on the yes. taste of the country. But, <laughs> but yet, yeah, we still have to find out how to do it better, I think, mm-hmm. and just make it a more desirable thing for people to to want to do. Definitely. And you've touched on this very well, but part of the podcast being called Detours in Music mm-hmm. is kind of that concept of seeing the destination and, you know, only feeling like that's the right way, uh-huh. but life happens. Sure, or, sure. Um, and you already mentioned kind of seeing the path and mm-hmm. going a different way. And I mm-hmm. think people hearing your story could think, oh, he got drafted into the army. How, how could it have worked out? Or, oh, he got this job, you know, mm-hmm. then how yes. did you keep playing? Um, so I think you have a very positive reflection of, of those moments, but how would you articulate that for others. Mm. Um, I, I just I don't think you can let yourself get too excited or or too far down. Mm. Um, I think of all the nights that I've come off stage thinking, oh man, I can't believe I made that mistake in a concert. You know, at Lincoln Center in Avery Fisher Hall at Mostly Mozart Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next night being on top of the world because everything went so well and, and walking off stage thinking, okay, that was about as well as I could have done that. And yeah. maybe as well as almost anybody could have done it. Mm-hmm. So um, I think you have to celebrate the victories and, and not take the losses too seriously mm-hmm. and realize that whatever plan you have will probably get interrupted by 
life happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, at one point early in my time at SUNY Albany, um, the teaching job at the North Carolina School of the Arts came open. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, clearly this is my destiny. You know, the circle will be completed. I'll head back to North Carolina. I'll teach at my old school. It'll be great. And uh, didn't get the job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but shortly after, got New York Chamber Symphony, mm -hmm. uh, which turned out to be an infinitely um, uh, huge part of my career in terms of we're starting to work with Jerry Schwartz who's my dear friend mm -hmm. um, and just all the opportunities that sort of grew from uh, being able to be in New York and, and do those things rather than in North Carolina where yeah. I would have been just teaching pretty much. Was Maestro Schwartz how you came to Eastern? Yes, okay. yes. There was an opening here and he, again, just made the phone call and said, could you do it? And I mm -hmm. said, well, I would have to leave a little bit early because the mostly Mozart season is going to start in the middle. Mm -hmm. And Jerry was very kind to work with me. And, and then when the schedule sort of changed, I was able to be down here, for, you know, for the duration of the festival. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think Eastern Music Festival offers students that um, <laughs> well, special? Yeah. Um, uh, I think the faculty, we are all really, really committed to, to, to you guys, to, mm -hmm. to teaching and to um, just, it's so inspirational to hear, you know, you guys play on Friday evenings and just mm -hmm. the, the work that gets done here. Um, it's also a wonderful faculty orchestra, so I love coming here just playing. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but it's, it's a lovely combination of, for me, of coaching chamber music, teaching private students and, and then playing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it offers kids a, a totally immersive experience. I'm, I'll bet you've never been in better shape in your life than, than you are just about now. Mm -hmm. you're, you're playing all the time, you're working, you're learning new music. Yeah. Um, it's just, um, I think it's a, it's a great place to spend five weeks mm -hmm. getting to compare yourself to your peers around the country, yeah. um, finding out how you stack up, learning from them, them learning from you. Um, it's just a wonderful exchange of you know, ideas. What are your current goals for, I guess, the field of music in general right now? Um, my own personal goals? Yeah. Uh, well, just, just uh, I must say I'm, I'm at the point in my career where I'm sort of cutting back a little bit mm -hmm. and saying no to some jobs that I used to say yes to. Um, and my quintet is a very demanding group in terms of um, just the level at which they play. It's mm -hmm. very, very, very high. Um, and they're all wonderful people. So that is probably the thing on my horizon that a two-hour quintet concert is not my favorite thing to do anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just weighing how much longer um, I'll be with them. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of my other gigs around town, I love playing in the New York Pops. We do really, really fun stuff with mm -hmm. great, you know, a lot of Broadway stars. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just nice to have to be in a, a, an orchestra that's that good and play concerts at Carnegie Hall and, mm -hmm. and just get to work with personalities of, you know, um, everybody from Sarah Bareilles to, uh, you know, um, lots and lots of great young Broadway talent. So, um, yeah, but goals, you know, just uh, get up and keep playing. Yep, make another read. <laughs> make another read. I'm very thankful for Randall for today's interview. It has been very inspiring to play and hear him play this summer at Eastern Music Festival, and I'm so happy that we are finally back to making music in person. I know it seems scary to even say out loud, but I've really appreciated the five weeks I've had here. This interview with Randall was actually my first in-person interview since 
maybe February of 2020. So it was really great to be able to have this conversation and look into the eyes of the person and really hear their story. And it makes me all the more excited that you got to hear it and to share it with you. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast, there are multiple ways you can do so. First of all, you can go to our website, which is detoursinmusicpodcast.weebly.com. You could also subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Detours in Music Podcast. We also have a Facebook page and Instagram account where you can like and follow us. The Detours in Music Podcast is available everywhere that you listen to podcasts, but on Apple Music Podcast apps, you can subscribe and rate us. If you ever want to get in touch with me and give more direct feedback, you can email me at detoursinmusicpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you catch the next one.